Hello, you are listening to Energy 360. I am Edward Chow, your host this week. Today we will be discussing global natural gas markets, and we have with us Jay Copen, who is the executive director for the 27th World Gas Conference and special advisor to the president of the International Gas Union. And my colleague and fellow senior uh, fellow at the uh, CSIS Energy and National Security Program, Jay Nakano. Uh, welcome to you both. Uh, Jay, uh, the World Gas Conference happens only once every three years. So this is a, a really uh, big and uh, event that's been planned for quite a long time. Um, what inspired uh, hosting it in Washington this time? And is this unusual to have it in Washington? Thanks, Ed. Yes, the World Gas Conference uh, is held every three years and moves around the globe. It was last held here in 1988. Wow, long time ago. 30 years ago. It will likely be many decades before it returns to the United States, never mind returns to Washington. The event itself is the largest global gas industry event. Uh, we expect about 10,000 individuals to attend from about 100 different countries. The uh, event consists of a conference, which will feature 650 speakers uh, with covering every aspect of the gas value chain upstream uh, through downstream. The speakers range from the CEOs of all the major energy companies in the world, energy ministers from across the globe, all the way down to technicians that specialize in cooling gas down to minus 260 degrees to move it around the world as LNG. So it covers the entire value chain, wide range of speakers, covering all the key issues of the day. Every issue, including issues like blockchain and where does that fit into the whole energy mix. In addition to the conference itself, there is a 40,000 square meter exhibition, which will be the largest gas industry exhibition ever held in the United States. Some 350 exhibitors, again, covering the entire gas value chain. The American Gas Association, celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, is the host of the World Gas Conference. And we, had, we as American Gas Association, had to bid to host this event uh, and we were bidding against uh, Qatar, South Korea, and Brazil through the International Gas Union, and we won the right to host the event back in 2011. But as part of that, winning you don't just win the conference, you win the opportunity to serve as the president of the International Gas Union for, the for three, three years. years. For three years. And David Carroll, who is the president of the Gas Technology Institute, has served for three years as the president of IGU. And a major focus of our USA presidency has been to raise the voice of gas around the world. So by having the event here in Washington, a city that is known for its history of bringing together policymakers, addressing all kinds of issues, what better place to have the World Gas Conference than in the country that is the single largest producer and consumer of natural gas 
in a city that is known for bringing policymakers together. And we have a program, quite frankly, that features ministers, as I said, from across the globe. We've got ambassadors uh, from across the globe participating and many policymakers. So that's why we're having it in Washington. That's how we got it here. And that hopefully gives you a snapshot of what it's going to look like the last week in June. Uh, how many participants are you expecting to visit Washington during that week? Yeah, so we're expecting about 10,000 people from the global gas industry, representing 100 different countries. Our speakers, it's, this is not a USA event that has international visitors. This is an event that moves around the world, and we're just lucky enough to host it here. So I'm very proud that our speakers, two-thirds of our speakers are from outside of North America. Seventy percent of our keynote speakers are from outside of North America. And we've had a real focus on geographic diversity among speakers, but also gender balance as well. And in fact, I'm incredibly proud that our team recently received a war, an award from the Pink Petro organization, their GRIT award, for the work that we have done in having a diverse and gender, and gender geographic diverse and gender diverse uh, group of speakers on the program. Uh, thank you for crediting Washington for the role it plays in the world. But, but I have to say, as, as someone who, who lives around here, that we're often very focused on what's going on in America. And there's been a lot of exciting developments in the gas scene in America. Are there uh, special developments around the world and the global uh, gas scene uh, that American audience should be particularly um, paying attention to? Well, certainly from our vantage point, uh, I mean, I think everybody is focused on one and a half to two percent growth per year across the globe in gas. I mean, maybe you guys have different numbers. I'm not sure, but it's probably in that range. Most of that growth is going to take place in Asia and the Middle East. And I think the bulk of the growth is probably going to take place in China and India, if you had to really narrow it down. And so really, it's exciting to see the role that gas can play in some of these economies, especially when it comes to air quality. And a major focus of our presidency of the International Gas Union has been on the role that gas can play in urban air quality. And if you've traveled to, whether it's Beijing or to Cairo or to Delhi, wherever, you, you, you understand what we're talking about. So I think the role that gas can play from an environmental standpoint is something that's being recognized around the world and probably an issue that we need to bring back more to the forefront here in the United States. Gas plays kind of an interesting role here, uh, it seems to me. And, and um, on the one hand, uh, you, are, you have folks who are very concerned about climate change. And uh, although there are benefits to gas on, on uh, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, they're also concerned about the burning of fossil fuels, period. So who are much more in favor of renewables and, and, and other non-emitting uh, fuel sources. Um, then there are folks who are on the other side who are maybe less concerned about climate change and more concerned about reviving other industries such as coal or nuclear. Um, and, and gas competes in, in that space in the middle uh, between renewables and and traditional fossil fuels. Um, how do you see that discussion 
how, in terms of presenting uh, gas's role in the global fuel mix? That's really the crux of the whole argument right there. Uh, that's really the issue. And, and so what, before I really get to your, your question specifically, I'd say that's one of the things we're most proud about for the World Gas Conference is that we're bringing these issues to the forefront, that we have entities like EDF as an active participant in the World Gas it's Conference. It's the Environmental Defense, Defense Fund. Fund. I'm sorry. Uh, entities like the uh, IRENA, the International Renewable Energy Association, an active participant in the World Gas Conference. Sustainable Energy for All, active participants. So we really want to bring, that's the kind of dialogue we want to have at the World Gas Conference to really sort through where, what is the role for gas with renewables? Where does coal fit in? I mean, you've got, 650 million people in Africa that don't have access to electricity. Uh, obviously, gas has a role to play, but gas can, and, and renewables have a role to play. But how do you get electricity to those people? I mean, even liquid propane gas is, is one option. So I don't really have the answer to where it is. We just know that gas fits in there. Uh, that's a very interesting uh, point. Um, Jane, uh, the U.S., uh, energy scene have seen the growth of both gas and renewables at the same time. Uh, in many ways, they seem to pair very well with each other, given the intermittency of, of renewables and, and uh, the, the uh, economy of gas-fired uh, um, uh, electricity generation. Um, this administration, on the other hand, doesn't seem as concerned about gas use uh, in in the United States. They may be concerned about promoting gas exports from the United States. Um, how do you see the priorities of of this administration and and the country as it shapes up? And how might the World Gas Conference inform the policy process in Washington? That's an excellent question. Um, so certainly I think this administration has been a lot more focused on nuclear and coal, as you've uh, suggested earlier. And to me, it's not so much that a, the administration isn't focused on gas, but the, one of the value propositions that the gas has, which is it's a you know a low um, carbon you know, fossil fuel, that's the part that has not been as articulated because... Um, in, in contrast to the previous administration that yes. did emphasize yep. that. Stark yeah. contrast, uh, because climate is uh, is not really priority uh, to the current team in the White House. So, but then at the same time, though, if you look at um, you know local uh, and state levels, uh, you know. You know, the uh, local leaders are still looking at natural gas as part of their energy mix, and certainly from the company perspective too. Uh, you know, they're they're looking at it uh, as part of the solution to uh, certainly to their uh, clean energy sort of transition, but then also for their economic growth, and and to some extent the regulatory and political uncertainties surrounding coal and nuclear uh, power generation uh, assets. I would argue that make you know something like natural gas and renewables much more attractive. There's much more of a business certainty uh, associated with you know making investments into those you know power gener generating uh, facilities. So there's an interesting gas story to tell. 
um, not only for, for gas as a foundation fuel, as Jay said, uh, but but also in terms of uh, uh, moving towards a more climate friendly, more environmentally friendly uh, fuel use. Uh, gas is an interesting story to tell, and and this is an opportunity, I suppose, Jay, uh, to do that at, at at the national and international stage. Absolutely. I mean, we really feel we're at a great point in time to really showcase the role that gas can play in conjunction with renewables. It's not an either-or situation. And I think too often, at least in my experience, especially in Washington, uh, where I've lived for 47 years, too often it's, it's either this or it's that. And it's really not that. It's you need energy. I think we can all agree. And you certainly need energy efficiency. I mean, energy efficiency is a critical part of this issue. And, and the cleanest possible. And, yeah. And I, I think that's something that probably everybody can agree on. And how do you get there? And that's why we, you know, we just see the role. One of our sessions is uh, gas and renewables, a partnership for the future. And it's really how does gas work with renewables? And we've got Lisa Jacobson from the Business Council for Sustainable Energy is chairing that session. And I think so I think this is just a great point in time to address these climate issues. Where does it fit in in terms of urban air quality and the whole methane issue, which is really coming to the forefront now? But let's talk about those issues and get policymakers together to figure out what we can do about this. And uh, I think so I think the environmental issues are. So great. you are going to tackle. Oh, a, absolutely. A, a, a issue like methane emissions. It is up front. Methane emissions is up front. And as I've mentioned to you, there are a number of side events being conducted, uh, whether it's EDF and ExxonMobil or OGCI uh, investments addressing the methane issue. And it's really up front with a lot of the, the sessions that we have. It's not, we're not trying to hide it. So I think the environmental issues are great. And really the geopolitical issues are just amazing right now as it comes to gas. I think I mentioned to you, I'm just back from Egypt and just stunning to sit there and hear from an Israeli about the role that gas is playing in that region to bring together the Egyptians and the Israelis. It's just a fascinating story. And that's just one tip of the iceberg. And you started to uh, that, That's yeah. not very well understood, that yeah. the gas trading relationship tends to be long-term marriages compared to oil, which is much more like dating, yeah. uh, uh, than, than, than long-term relationships because of the expensive fixed infrastructure, whether you're talking about pipelines or uh, liquefaction plants or, or uh, receiving terminals, you're really talking about long-term investments in infrastructure in order for the trade to work, unlike oil, which can be traded, you know, on on a daily, uh, uh, weekly basis with, without much difficulty. The gas business is fundamentally different. Yeah. And it really gets to geopolitical issues. And so you've got the climate issues on one hand, You've got the geopolitical issues. And what an amazing time in this industry with you see, when you see what's happening with U.S. LNG exports. I mean, you know, obviously the Sabine plant, I, I don't even, I, I know it's over a couple hundred cargoes have, have moved from there. Dominion at Cove Point, just down the road from here, the first cargoes are moving. And think about what that means geopolitically. I, I was in uh, Eastern Europe when the first LNG uh, cargoes were moving from the U.S. to Poland. And think about that. And now with Lithuania and what's going on there. I mean, it's, the geopolitics are fascinating. I think this World Gas Conference 
happens at a time where, yes, we're going to address the environmental issues, but let's also look at the geopolitical issues and what this means around the globe for uh, certainly U.S. LNG exports, uh, for one thing. And, and from a standpoint of an international think tank like CSIS, I think uh, the point should be made that, that U.S. LNG exports also bring gas-on-gas competition to markets like in Europe or in Asia, which hadn't seen gas-on-gas competition before, haven't seen gas prices that are not at all indexed or related to oil prices. And so that, that's, a, that's a very, very big deal indeed. Jane, I know you look at the international LNG business uh, quite a bit. Uh, in, in Asia, you know, Japan is currently the largest LNG importer in the world, but probably China's uh, are coming up really fast uh, in the next year or two uh, may exceed uh, uh, Japan. But certainly the growth market is in Asia, as Jay said, and there's a lot of excitement in, in Asia about U.S. LNG. Can you comment on that a little bit? Sure. So, so there's certainly a lot of excitement around U.S. LNG, and it's not just the volume. Certainly the amount of U.S. LNG um, that could go to Japan or, or Korea is certainly China being the, the rising star, if you will. Um, you know, it's it's uh, the needed uh, volume, but the presence of uh, you know additional major supplier in the global gas uh, trading scene is something that a lot of people uh, see energy security value to. It's the diversification of suppliers, also supply routes as well. Um, a lot of uh, um, Asian uh, uh, LNG uh, traffic goes through South China Seas or Strait of Malacca. But, you know, uh, presumably the, the ones uh, going from the U.S., uh, perhaps through Panama Canal, I mean, they will be transiting through open ocean. Um, it gives yet another uh, way to strengthen uh, the supply security for gas. But then also it's the type of flexibilities that the U.S. LNG contracts bring to the table uh, that are making uh, import-dependent countries uh, very excited and perhaps a bit of a sort of renewed sense of competition to traditional LNG supplier countries, if you will. You know, it's the uh, destination flexible uh, supplies and, and the ones that are not uh, do not require multi-decade commitments. Those are the, the, the sort of um, um, values and, uh, I guess, features of U.S. LNG exports that do uh, help enhance competi- competition, competitiveness, but then also, uh, in many ways, sort of eventually more liquid LNG trade uh, in Asia, where a lot of buyers have been uh, long tied to uh, a very you know limited number of suppliers that required uh, you know few decade long contracts and also a uh, much you know stricter sense of destination uh, um, and so it's again it's not just the volume but it's the you know, having the, yet another player and with such a different business model uh, so in, in many ways I think it's uh, it takes um, you know both the supplier us as a supplier but then also buyers and but I should also say though that I think buyers also have to take advantage of that. 
So, you know, the U.S. LNG has all these attractive features, but they, the, the ones uh, perhaps in Asia that are highly import dependent that want to see more liquid LNG market uh, develop have to take advantage of what U.S. LNG can offer and, and you know, sort of try to then renegotiate uh, much more competitive deals uh, with other suppliers, make use of destination flex- flexibility and come up with um, much more uh, uh, sort of, a, um, you know, um, much more creative ways of getting uh, competition uh, uh, grow. Uh, based on what you just said, it seems to me that um, an- another interesting uh, um, aspect of U.S. LNG exports is that they would tend to dampen the, the market power of the traditional suppliers to certain markets. One thinks of Russia and Europe, for example, or, or for that matter, Australia in Asia uh, 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 previously. Um, Jay, you talk about the, the kind of the positive geopolitical impact of, of, of gas, that the gas business um, is there discussion among these participants in this week-long conference about mitigating some of the negative geopolitical aspects of, of the gas business um, that, that, that we have also seen in the past? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. that. That's a very good question. I mean, there is going to be extensive focus on geopolitics. In fact, we're even having a, a special VIP event on Monday at the Archive, National Archives Theater uh, that is totally focused on geopolitics, and it features the uh, Deputy Secretary of State Sullivan, as well as the CEOs uh, of ExxonMobil and Chevron. And, and I think they'll be getting into all these issues. Uh, just to follow up on something that Jane said, and you talked, it was great, the story about Asia. But boy, and you, you talk about energy security, and you mentioned Europe. I mean, it's not just displacing uh, other LNG suppliers, it's displaced. What does U.S. LNG do to displace pipeline gas that's moving uh, from from certain areas? So, so there's tremendous competition across the uh, across the globe, and energy security is becoming a very big issue. What's interesting, if you look back at this industry, even 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 11 years ago, the U.S. was going to become one of the largest importers of liquefied natural gas. The Japanese, the Koreans, the Spanish were all concerned that the U.S. would start... Suck up, suck all, up all the gas. <laughs> the and we had some 55 uh, projects that were proposed for FERC of, of regasification uh, terminals that were going to be built. And that was just 10 or 11 years ago. And we're sitting here now talking about U.S. LNG exports and the impact it's having across the globe. So I think one of the things is our theme for the World Gas Conference and for our presidency has been fueling the future. And it's, it's, a, it's a vague theme, but it's, it's pretty dynamic in that who knows what the next 10 years will bring because if you look at the last 10 years, nobody would have ever dreamed we'd sit here and be talking about some of these issues gas working with renewables, addressing the methane issues right up front and not hiding them somewhere. So it, it's just it's a fascinating business. And I think all of these issues will be discussed uh, in Washington. LNG is still a pretty capital-intensive, expensive trade. Uh, if you look at the liquefaction costs, 
the transportation costs of, of uh, LNG cargoes across oceans, regasification costs, uh, sometimes it, it equals the value of the gas it, it, it itself, if not a little bit more. Uh, tell me a little bit about the technological advances that you see and may be discussed during the, the week-long conference, um, both in the midstream side of things, uh, um, uh, LNG uh, driving down costs, which we've seen the, certainly the U.S. shale gas industry done very successfully in the past decade, but also in the midstream and, and the downstream and the, the uses of, of, of gas. Okay, just a point of clarification. Now you're starting to get into an area that I'm not totally comfortable okay, with. Fine. But I will. I will. But in terms of the yeah, sessions that you right, will have yeah. that cover. But I, I would say this: the technological advancements are, are critical to this. And if you look at LNG alone, and you look at things like FSRUs, mm -hmm. it's just amazing the markets that That's you can do floating storage and regasification units. units. Right. So yeah. you look at. So let's start with one big technological development, and that is the widening and deepening of the Panama Canal. And Jane mentioned the LNG going through the Panama Canal. I don't know how many people realize this, but until just the last two years, maybe even less than that, there was not one single LNG tanker that had ever gone through the Panama Canal. So all of a sudden, the access to markets via the Panama Canal has opened up in a big way. So just that one single technological development has affected the global LNG industry. You get into the FSRUs and small-scale LNG, and you look, and, and what we see, and we're going to see it at the conference, is countries in the Caribbean that are looking to develop some type of gas resource to power their economy, whether it's Jamaica or the Dominican Republic, or, or, or wherever, you're seeing more and more interest in regions like that because of the more competitiveness of these smaller-scale LNG uh, Actually, Puerto Rico is a good example of that, uh, in a very uh, market very concerned about electricity access right now. The, these island or, or smaller markets that have been based more on oil-fired, very expensive oil-fired right. generation, uh, Jane, do you want to chime in on this yeah, and issue? I, I think some, you know, FSRU is exciting from also sort of um, uh, uh, economics perspective as well. You know, many of the potential uh, markets for LNG or natural gas in general are not are you know, quite new to the, this game. Uh, and many of them uh, have or um, lack the type of, I guess, credit worthiness that many of the traditional buyers uh, have long enjoyed. And I guess as, you know, uh, both project developers from exporting countries and also a lot of portfolio players try to help them to realize the natural gas benefits for these, you know, uh, emerging uh, pockets of uh, demands, economies and countries having a very flexible way of uh, transporting or, you know, gasifying uh, LNG will certainly help them. It's, you know, often the investment is uh, at much, you know, lower scale, lower level than uh, fixed uh, uh, onshore um, LNG receiving terminals. And so I think there's a lot of uh, um, excitement around uh, the technology, but and certainly it's there, it's coming up because there's also a strong uh, economic value. Um, so I just, for a while, it's worth, I wanted to mention that. Great. 
Um, uh, Jay, for those of us who are lucky enough to be in Washington at the end of June, you, you have lots of panels and, 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 and open sessions uh, that, that will be uh, uh, available for, for people to attend. Are these going to be broadcast in some way? Is there going to be web a access? H how do you sort of uh, uh, promote and, and, and give wider distribution to the good information that would be uh, um, um, discussed during this conference? Well, we would certainly encourage uh, the tens of thousands of people to come to the conference and hear firsthand all of the activities that, and see all the activities that are going on. And I, I wouldn't diminish the fact that we have this largest global gas industry exhibition that's ever been held in the United States to walk the exhibition floor mm -hmm. and see. And where will, will, at, will it's it be, all at the Walter E. Washington Convention, Convention Center. Center. To be able to walk the exhibition floor and see firsthand and, you know, kick the tires of these, these are not booths. These are multi-story stands uh, built by people coming from all over the world. So certainly, first of all, uh, attendance at the conference and attendance at the exhibition, highly recommended. Uh, we have probably over 200 to 250 media folks that will be in attendance that will be putting everything out on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, uh, and, you know, we've got Bloomberg TV for one and, and others. Um, I know that Pink Petro, the organization in Houston, is going to be doing some live uh, interviews from the World Gas Conference for the many followers that, uh, that Katie Maynard has at Pink Petro. Um, we are not really, you know, doing webcasting or anything like that because we think you really need to be there in person to experience this, and, uh, and we hope everybody will, will be able to attend. Very good. And more information is available on your website, I'm sure, and uh, we look forward very much to having you and your thousands of, of, of gas uh, industry uh, colleagues here in Washington at the end of June. It's, uh, thanks. it's really a unique opportunity. It's once in a generation. For some of us, it's once in a lifetime to be able to host this event in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much, Jay, thank and you. thank you, Jane, for joining me on this uh, podcast. Again, I'm Matt Chow, and thank you for listening to Energy 360.